When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 110, and we are recording on December 12th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. hey Hello. Welcome to our Jane Austen read-alike show. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember what made us decide to do this. I think Isn't it was it, her birthday. Was... I was going to say it's her birthday. Right. Month. Not today. No. Right. Like, I think it was actually two days ago. It was the 10th? I don't remember. Anyway, we were looking at, like, upcoming, you know beloved author birthdays and days of death and things and we were like Jane Austen show Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) so that is what we were doing yes um so before we get into it let's talk about what we're reading what are you reading Jen so I am I can't tell how far in I am because digital books are hard to tell (laughs) but I'm reading the Clockwork Dynasty by Daniel H. Wilson which I okay right now I have mixed feelings about it because the plot is really good but the structure is driving me a little crazy so there's like short chapters and they alternate every single chapter it alternates between a present storyline and a past storyline so like just when I'm starting to like get in to one of them it switches to the other one and then back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and I normally don't mind that but I think I've realized like usually it's a little bit longer between switches and so but like the plot is the plots are good I just am having trouble keeping up with them (laughs) um it's about robots kind of it's about like clockwork automata that are like sentient so kind of artificial intelligence, but it's like a little more magical than that. And then um, the present day storyline is about an anthropologist who like basically studies dolls um, and has been looking for clockwork, you know, things uh, as part of her research. And she like discovers that there's this sort of, you know, cabal of sentient automata and they're in the middle of a war and she gets sucked into it. Um, so, yeah, so it's like very it's very plotty and and the characters everybody is is a robot except for one person <laughs> so that's it's like hard to like go oh, the characters like i mean i guess the automatons are interesting they're interesting um so yeah i don't know i i think i think ultimately i'm gonna like it but it's taking me a while to like hang with the swing of the narrative structure what are you reading uh, Batman, weirdly. Um, so <laughs> we hate Batman. <laughs> I hate Batman so much. Okay, so DC Icons <laughs> is doing this line of, uh, or it's Random House uh, Books for Young Readers, is doing this line of YA novelizations of comic book heroes. And Lee Bardugo did Wonder Woman, Warbringer last year, which I loved. And Marie Lu is doing Batman. It's called Nightwalker, and it's about Bruce Wayne as a teenager. Like, I've just started it. I'm, you know, chapter, I've just finished chapter one last night. And it opens on his 18th birthday when he is inheriting uh, his trust and, like, inheriting the company. Um, He has, uh, like, a run-in with the cops on his birthday and ends up doing community service at Arkham Asylum where he meets Madeline, who is, like, this brilliant murderer and, like, has to team up with her for stuff. But, yeah, I'm, like, way not into Batman as a concept or, like, as a superhero. I think he's the worst and, like, the embodiment of pretty much everything that's toxic about capitalism and the country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, Marie Lou. So right, right. I didn't – I'm so curious. Um, so we'll see. I'm really hoping that she can take this, you know, navel-gazing – horrible capitalist icon and turn it into something interesting. Uh, also, I just realized when I was looking at the Goodreads reviews for the book that um, Sarah J. Moss is doing a Catwoman novel that comes out next year. What? I know. It's called Soul Stealer. I have not read Sarah J. Moss. Um, I have, you know, it's one of the, I own 40 of her books and I just haven't gotten around to it. Uh, but like, that's so, what? Like, I'm so interested in these pairings that, that uh, Random House is making between these authors and these, uh, these like iconic 
DC superheroes. So that <laughs> is what I'm... Re- I mean, like, you know, so far, page two, he mentions he, he, like, gets in his feelings about being an orphan, and I'm already like, oh, my God. I'm not going to be able to get through this. But we will see. I have trust in Marie Lou. I, like, I want to tell everybody that we have had whole, like, extended text message conversations about how awful Batman is. Okay, do you remember when I texted you that one night and was like, I'm on a date, yes. and he just said that Batman is his favorite superhero, and, and now I have to leave? I was like, get out, get out, leave. Like, <laughs> I didn't go out with that guy again. I never did. I mean, it no. wasn't just because of the Batman thing, but that's really indicative. It's like when a guy tells you his favorite book is Fight Club, it's like, ooh, right. time to go. Yeah, it just tells you a thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's just cracking me up. Well, I will be very curious to hear what your verdict on the Batman, like if it, if there's like a side of Batman that you don't hate, I as mean, presented by Marie Lou. <laughs> can she do like social justice Batman? He's only 18, so he's right. not like old enough to be horrible. That's true. That's if anyone true. can do it, you know, yeah. it's like... YA authors of 20, 2017, they are on their game. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's my Batman rant. I will tell you all about it. If you want to hear about it, just ask me. Um, so, uh, yeah. So as I mentioned, let's do our actual podcast. Um, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. You can send us your reading rec requests via email to get booked at bookwrite.com, or you can drop your reading requests in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. And these can be anything. They can be, uh, you know, you want a book because you're traveling to some country, you want to read about it, or you need something for your book club or a gift or whatever. Um, if your question is time sensitive, like you need a present by X date for someone, please mention that in the subject line of the email or in the first line of your question if you're using the form so that we can get to it as soon as uh, possible. Um, if we're not able to get to it on time, then we will try to email you back. That's why we ask for your email address in the form. Um, in case we're not going to get to your question, then we will email you a response. And that is how that works. So we will, we're not going to read our first question because there's no questions happening here. This is just like Jen and Amanda talk about things that reminded us of Jane Austen, except we approached this in very different ways. <laughs> so like Jen did the smart thing, which is like pulled out themes from different Jane Austen novels well. and then found comparable things. And I was just like, Jane Austen and dragons. That's what this is. <laughs> so you've got, you know, two different styles of recommendation mm-hmm. here, depending mm-hmm. on what you want. Um, so I guess I will do our first sponsor, and then we will roll on, and then I will mm-hmm. stop talking. I'm actually really excited about this because I have his cookbook for cocktails. Okay, so our first sponsor is Life is Like a Musical, which is by Tim Fetterly, who, who wrote the cocktail books Tequila Mockingbird and Gone with the Gin, yes. which I love. I, lo- I have Tequila Mockingbird, and I love it, and it's great for, like, book club cocktail making. Like, if you want a literary-themed boozy book club which is what mine is basically then it's you have to you have to have it um so he has written a guide to getting ahead in life love and leadership broadway style before he became an author which you probably know him best from better nate than ever excuse me so before he became an author, he worked in showbiz, and I knew none of this. He was a backup dancer for Christina Aguilera. Amazing. I know, and a Radio City polar bear, and he was like a chorus boy on Broadway. Um, and so, of course, along the way, he discovered a bunch of harder and lessons that he was learning on the stage could be applied to his life in general also. So Life is Like a Musical has 50 different tips and anecdotes, um, and the chapters are titled stuff like, Let Someone Else Take a Bow, and Dance Like Everyone's Watching. Save the drama for the stage. Like, you can see what he's doing here. Um, so, you know, this is like a charming and clever guide. It's great for New Year's as you're setting your resolution or reconsidering like the direction that you want to take your life and how you want to handle conflict and all that sort of stuff. So go check that out. That's Life is Like a Musical by Tim Federley. And thank you for sponsoring the show. Also go get Tequila Mockingbird because it's amazing. Mm-hmm. We hosted, when I worked at the bookstore, we hosted his launch party for that <laughs> book and it obviously included cocktails mm-hmm. and it was like a Saturday afternoon and I don't think we've ever had so many drunk people in the book store like in that time that in that time frame like it was just very yeah it was good all right let's do our first you okay (laughs) do you (laughs) these are not related or grouped in any particular way right right um okay i'll go first so i this may if you are a longtime listener of the show you will not be surprised by this one but i obviously could not pass up my own jane austen plus magic favorite which is sorcerer to the crown by zen cho which we haven't talked about once this year for the record i I double checked i was like wait can i pick this yes i can um so yeah it's amazing if you have not read it yet um you should pick it up it is now in paperback it's been out for a while and it is about a young black man during like Regency-ish England, uh, who is a freed slave. He's been like adopted into a family, um, like a prominent family, and raised as a member of the family. And he also is a magician. And he is now 
the Sorcerer Royal of the Unnatural Philosophers, which is like the magician organization of Britain. Um, and a lot of like the stodgy old dudes are not happy about it. Um, and on top of it, as if his job wasn't hard enough just because like, you know, old white dudes, um, the magic is drying up and he has to figure out why. And there seems to be a problem that in this concept, magic comes from fairyland. It like kind of leaks through the border. Um, and suddenly there's just like not enough magic. So he's got to go to the border and figure out like what is going on. And on his way, he stops to give a lecture like uh, like as a favor to a friend at a young, like a girl's school. And he finds out that like not only are girls doing magic, which they're not supposed to be, but they're like not having any trouble doing strong magic. And he's like, what is going on? <laughs> and um, there's a young woman at this boarding school who's kind of like staff. Uh, she's an orphan. Her name is Prunella. And she's amazing. And she's like very powerful. Um, and so he reluctantly teams up with her. She is like, I am getting out of this boarding school. This is ridiculous. I am leaving. I'm going to go do magic. And he's like, but you're a girl. And she's like, uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> Good job, buddy. <laughs> and hijinks ensue. And it is, it's great. Like, you wouldn't, there's, it, it, like, if you were a fan of, like, Jane Austen and, like, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, like, that kind of, like, stuffy British and then plus magic, this is, like, the most refreshing version of that thing. It's inclusive, it's it's funny, it's smart, it's got a lot of great plot and just so many good characters. Um, and it is the first in a series we've all been waiting desperately for the next one which I think maybe will come out next year like it's at this point they've pushed back the release date so many times who knows but one day we'll get another one <laughs> and then maybe even a third one but regardless you should pick up Sorcerer to the Crown like immediately it's just so much fun so that's Sorcerer to the Crown by Zencho. Okay, um, my first pick for you is Shades of Milk and Honey by Mary Robinette Cowell, which is the first in her Glamorous History series, of which there are, I don't know, five. There are five books in this series, so if you like the first one, there's plenty in this vein. Um, and this one in my head is sort of like, is romance, comedy of manners, plus very polite magic. Like, very, very polite. Hi, Lola, go lay down. Okay, sorry, guys. Um, I, I like, I don't, do I have a podcast voice that calls to her? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so confusing. Um, so this is a very Jane Austen-y world. It's Regency England. The main character's name is Jane. Um, she has a sister, Melody, who's a little bit younger than her. Melody is beautiful, and everybody loves her. Like, she's charming and sweet. She's also very dumb and has no talents. Like, she can't play music. She can't um, paint. And she's also not great at glamour. And glamour is what they call the musical system in this world. And it's, like, this ability um, that people who have the ability can create what are essentially uh, illusions, like visual illusions, or, uh, and sometimes like scent illusions. So women are taught to cultivate this magical ability so that they can like make their homes more comfortable and like raise the temperature and make everything smell like vanilla, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Or like make their cheeks look a little bit rosier. Um, and Melody's not very good at the glamour when she tries it, it's very clumsy. Uh, and her, and then Jane, who's the main character, is older. She's 28, which in Regency England means she's basically a spinster. She's kind of come to accept it, that she's not getting married. She's not pretty, but she is brilliant and very, a very talented glamorist um, and uh, has just, like, accepted that Melody is the pretty one and I am the one who is good at this thing that no one really cares about because it doesn't matter. Um, and so they have just, like gone on about their lives with that family structure until they both fall for the same man. And Jane, their, their neighbor, Mr. Dunkirk, and Jane realizes, like, she's not making a, a play for Mr. Dunkirk because she's 28 and not pretty. Um, she assumes that he loves Melody, and then Melody assumes that he loves Jane because Jane's so much smarter than her, da 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 And then in comes a man named Mr. Mr. Vincent, who their neighbor uh, on a neighboring estate has hired. Um, he's a famed glamorist in this universe and they hire him to like do big what they call glow murals which are big artistic installations for their parties and things like that and Jane and he recognize the level of talent that the other has but it, their relationship is very adversarial and competitive and, and like prickly uh, you can probably guess where that goes <laughs> because Jane Austen real like and so a lot of um, interpersonal drama happens and then Jane realizes that 
once Melody, Melody gets over Mr. Dunker pretty early on in the book and then she falls for another character and Mel, uh, Jane realizes that the guy that Melody falls for the, uh, the second time around is like just after her for like not, for nefarious reasons, but Melody doesn't listen to reason and all this kind of stuff. So then this big dramatic climax happens, lots of magic is involved to try to um, save the day and all of this. Uh, and I really appreciated, the, the thing that I like about this book is that the magic is not um, overdone. Like it. I don't know if charm, if if Jane, if the, if like the charm and wit in Jane Austen's books actually sparkled, it would be like the glamour in this, if that makes any kind of sense at all. Like it's very mild and polite, and it, it weaves very nicely into polite, stuffy kind of Regency um, drama. So that Shades of Milk and Honey by Mary Robinette Cowell. Okay, so yeah, like Amanda said, I did that thing where I like sat down and thought about like, what are all the things that I love about Jane Austen's book and then sort of picked them apart because it's really hard to find a person who does exactly what Jane Austen does in one book, right? But you can find like pieces of it in other books. So that's that was kind of my organizing principle here. Um, and when I thought about one of my favorite things about Jane Austen is how snarky she is. Like she is, she is so, like if you know, if you have a little historical context, you can see her being sarcastic and snarky about society in general in the books um and one of my other favorite oldie time snark authors is thackeray and vanity fair is like it's like jane austen but meaner (laughs) (laughs) which is so much fun um so Vanity Fair is about, which I didn't know this until I like literally just now was looking at the description on Goodreads. Apparently the subtitle of Vanity Fair is a novel without a hero, which is very interesting um, for a lot of reasons. Okay, anyway, so it is about a young woman named Becky Sharp who is poor um, and she lives at like a young lady's boarding school. Um, she's a charity case and she befriends another young woman who comes from like a wealthier background um, at the boarding school and then like when they quote unquote graduate, um, she goes to live with her friend Amelia and like sort of like tries to like, you know, uses that friendship to better her life and she is very conniving um and like she kind of doesn't care like she is looking out for herself first because that is how she's gonna survive like she learned the hard way that the only way to survive is to look out for number one and she's that's what she's gonna do um so throughout the book She's like, she's forming these relationships. And on the one hand, like some of them kind of are real relationships, but she's also very calculated about who she forms relationships with. And this does not always turn out very well. Um, and 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 it has such a great arc. Um, there's a lot of ups and downs in Becky Sharp's life. And like, I still think the ending is really great, um, which was like, there was no guarantee in my head that like a dude writing about a woman who is that, you know, sort of out for herself would give a good ending. But I do think there is a good ending. Um, and... Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's one of my favorites. I just, it's long, and, like, there's a lot of words in it, and I know a lot of people don't like reading Thackeray, but I just think it's so sharp and so funny and just so pointed in the way it skewers sort of that time period in, you know, the 1800s in Britain. Um, and, And presenting a young woman who just, like, she's not sorry, She's just not sorry. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, so that's Vanity Fair by William Makepeace Thackeray. Becky. Becky Sharp is not sorry. Show Becky Sharp is not sorry. <laughs> She's, not. She's not. She don't care. Okay. My second pick is Jane Austen meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And that is in the form of The Dark Days Club by Alison Goodman, uh, which is also the first in a series. I just got the second one in the mail from the publisher. So, um, yeah, the third one is coming out next year. Okay. So I guess... First in a trilogy. <laughs> Who knew? Um, so this takes place in London in 1812. The main character is Lady Helen Rexhall, who is uh, 18, 17, 18. And it opens on the night before she's being presented to the queen. Like the queen, ugh, I don't remember which queen it is. Who was queen in 1812? I don't remember. <laughs> um, the queen has just restarted her um, balls. Are they balls? These evenings where she like receives the young ladies of the aristocracy who are like on there who are coming out basically so she is being presented to the queen 
in this uh, big ceremony. And on the night that that happens, one of her family's housemates disappears. Uh, and Helen is trying to figure out what happened to the housemaid without like getting super involved. It's very complicated, the situation with her family. Um, her mother and father are dead, and she lives with her aunt and her uncle. Her aunt is flighty, but well-meaning. Her uncle is the actual worst. Um, so he is really like not allowing her to get involved in figuring out what happened to this poor girl. Um, so while all of that is going on, she's, you know, trying to prepare to like meet the queen and not make a fool of herself. The problem is the complicating factor is that her parents are dead and they're suspected of being traitors. Like they died on a ship that capsized uh, and sank and they are it's suspected that they were fleeing to France to give like state secrets to Napoleon. So Helen has this very dark, cloud over her life and over her presentation into society that her and her uncle and aunt are trying to really like make her perfect so that she will be accepted into society and like not bring shame on the family and all this um the the additional complicating factor is that demons live in london and are real and she's like a slayer basically she finds out from a distant relative of the family named lord carlston um he's like a bajillionth cousin a bajillion times removed um who that her mother also had this ability, like these supernatural abilities, super strength and this kind of thing, um, and that Helen has inherited it. Uh, and so it's all tied up in the mystery of like what happened to her family. And then the thing I appreciate about this book is that it is, it is like an adventurous, you know, YA fantasy about a girl like kicking butt and taking names and all of that. But like she never, like the, the, the book is about whether or not she wants to in the first place. Like it's fun and action packed and there's a little bit of romance and it's, you know, it's Regency England. So like it's got that cool like silver spoon thing happening. But the whole, the whole book is about whether or not she wants to do something quote unquote important, but also like she's probably gonna die and she's not going to get to marry the man that she wants to marry and she's probably never going to have children and like she's not going to have this life, you know, a quote unquote normal life. That, and I feel like a lot of fantasy adventure novels make that out, like the choice to not be a superhero, the choice to like live a quiet life, like to be the wrong choice, which is not, which is a, a false binary in my head. So the mm -hmm. fact that she like actually sits down and considers like, maybe I do want to be a mother. Like maybe I do want to have tea and sew things. Like that's actually not the worst. That's super fun to me. And I don't understand why everybody's pressuring me to like murder people. Like they're, you know, the people are possessed by demons and all that, but like, it's still a lot of violence. And she actually considers like, do I want to be a violent person? Like, is that a, who I want to be? in my life, um, which is a thing, you know, that I, don't, I just feel like a lot of adventure, I mean, Squirrel Girl considers whether or not the violence is necessary, <laughs> you know, but that's pretty uncommon. So mm -hmm. I really like that. Um, and then, but on the, but it is a lot of fun. Like there is, there is much slaying of baddies, which I also like. So see, false binary. So that's The Dark Days Club by Alison Goodman. I just put that on hold at the library. It's so great. You I must like read. <laughs> Um, okay, so I have more on the social class snark end because then I was thinking about, well, what would it look like if it wasn't white people? Mm. Um, and I have for you The Living is Easy by Dorothy West, which I read this past year and I'm just like, cannot stop talking about um, because it is. It's like, it's very Vanity Fair slash Austin, um, a lot more on the mean side than Austin, uh, about a young woman named Cleo Judson who is a black woman um, in Boston. And she is like a social, she wants a nice life. Um, and she is married to an older man who very much like wants to give her what she wants, but also like doesn't want to be like yelled at all the time about everything. Um, and, um, and so, and she like, she is, she's like looking out for herself first. Um, and she, the sort of, place where the novel starts is that she decides that she wants her sisters to come to Boston um, to like be with her like she wants her family around her um, some of her reasons are like not super like friendly but whatever like she 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 wants her family to be here um, and she is sort of hung up on both possessions and also color because that's what it was like, um, slash still is often. Uh, and so she is like trying very hard to tell her children, like, you know, you are good enough. You are important. Like you come from, you know, a good family. Um, but also like, 
she looks down on other people who don't, you know, have the same approach that she does to things. And she is, she just like, she manipulates like everyone around her. But you can see why. Like the thing that um, Dorothy West does so well, and it's the same thing that Thackeray and Austin do, is like you see inside the characters, like why they're doing the things that they're doing. And you're like, well, I can kind of see why you would do that. Like if that's your brain space, like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like I still think it's a really bad idea but like all right um and that's the way that you get into like the meat of these sort of social mores and like why are they there and like what who do they benefit and like why do we why do we prop them up like what what is it that we get out of them um which is you know the thing like Austin does lightly and this does more dramatically um and it's just yeah it's just really it's a really sharp funny and like also like you're like oh like a little bit cringy uncomfortable in the best possible way um um, so that is The Living is Easy by Dorothy West, which I don't know if I said. It takes place in the 40s in, in Boston. So, yeah, good good stuff. Good stuff for social commentary. Okay, so my next pick is Pride and Prejudice with Dragons, and it's, <laughs> which is great. I, this is probably my favorite. But, I mean, I did like months of research for this show, and this is probably my favorite one that I ended up reading. So it's Heartstone by L. Catherine White. And this, uh, if you take the story of Pride and Prejudice and put it in a medieval setting with lots of supernatural fantasy beasties, wyverns and uh, griffins and direwolves and all of these, and of course dragons, uh, then that's, you would get this book. So, and it's very, it's a very close retelling, like instead of Elizabeth Bennet, you have Eliza Bentain, um, Darcy becomes Darid, like it's super close. And you're going to recognize like the predictable plot points from Pride and Prejudice, if you're familiar with that story, <clears throat> like all the twists are the same. Except there are, yeah, dragons. So uh, Eliza lives on Maryborn Manor, um, and it's been invaded by griffins, which are not friendly to humans. Uh, some, some of the supernatural creatures in this universe are friendly to humans, some of them are not. Um, and so her sister was killed by a griffin attack, and they're just sort of terrorizing this very small country seat, uh, like eating cattle and all that. So the, the, the um, what you call it, not magistrate, the like person in charge of the estate has pulled together a lot of money and hired a bunch of dragon riders from the government. Like it's essentially, I don't like a Blackwater kind of setup where like they're private contractors, but also an arm of the king. Um, so they've hired a bunch of dragon riders to come in to town and use their dragons to hunt, to like rid them of this problem of the griffins, which is what the dragon riders are for, also fighting battles for the government. So one of the riders is Alistair Darid, um, who immediately makes a terrible impression, of course, and is kind of the worst, of course, uh, if you know Pride and Prejudice, then you know how this goes. Um, and, but, but that's like the, the personal drama of like, do Eliza and Darid get together and like, who's going to fall in love with who, all of that sort of stuff um, happens, but is almost secondary to the political um, intrigue stuff that's going on. Like the dragons are uh, part of this hierarchy of uh, supernatural creatures in the universe. And one of the, the ones that like are not friends to humans are, have this like secret plot to band together to destroy humanity. And like Eliza finds out about it and somehow gets embroiled and like has to end up saving the world. So like if Eliza Bennett had a sword and, <laughs> became a knight like that would sort of be what's happening here and it's like so fascinating and interesting something else I really appreciate about Heartstone is uh, she takes the characters you like super hate in Pride and Prejudice and makes them really more kind of understandable like Mr. Collins everybody right like we love to hate Mr. Oh, Collins yeah. he's ridiculous <laughs> he's like just ugh, like slimy and weird and when he's introduced in Heartstone he is ridiculous like he's obsessed with his clothes and he's a vegetarian in a medieval like setting which is ridiculous um and he you know is obsessed with lady catherine who's his patroness it's the same in this book uh and she, it, it, like you're like oh god dude get it together but then when he ends up marrying the charlotte lucas character like he's an excellent husband like he's doting he's a great father like she shows these sides of him well, she doesn't get rid of the like dude if you proposed to me i would probably laugh at you kind of personality stuff mm -hmm. but but he becomes more like but he's a human like he's loving and I don't know, like, I felt bad about how much I hated Mr. Collins and <laughs> Prejudice because I never considered him beyond just, like, an, a, a satirical figure. And then, like, Darcy's aunt, you know, who in Pride and Prejudice is very imperious and snobby and kind of the worst, um, is imperious and 
really concerned with social class, but she's also like a tried and true warrior and has like this big facial scarring that she got from a battle and likes Eliza. And like, there's none of that. Like she's concerned with keeping the family in their station as dragon riders. To my mind, this is maybe going to sound a little sacrilegious, but I really think that Heartstone takes the secondary characters of Jane Austen's universe and makes them more mm-hmm. fully realized than, than they are necessarily in Pride and Prejudice. So it's a great companion, I think, even though it's retelling the same story. And also there are dragons. Anyway, so that's Heartstone by L. Catherine White. We'll read. Um, okay. <laughs> I <laughs> wanted to do a retelling of Pride and Prejudice, um, which I don't always, like, I have a, a complicated relationship with, you know, Austin retellings, because some of them are so great, like, you know, clueless forever. Um, but some of them are less great. And so I picked my favorite, which is Longbourn by Joe Baker. And what I love so much about Longbourn is it is the below stairs version of Pride and Prejudice. So it's basically the same exact events, except for that you are following it through the servants. So you get to see like, you know, what Mrs. Bennett is like from the perspective of her housemaid. (laughs) Super not flattering, P.S. Like, surprise! Um, But yeah, so the story revolves around Sarah, who is the housemaid and, like, does laundry and empties the chamber pots and, like, has to deal with, you know, like, Elizabeth's muddy dress after she's walked to uh, Netherfield. Like, you know, it's all of those things like, oh, yeah, who has to get all of the mud out of that dress? Like, Jane Austen doesn't care, but Joe Baker does. Um, And there is also, it's not just that story. There's also a sort of uh, new plot where... um, one of Bingley's uh, footmen um, is like, you know, is around a lot. And um, there's like a, there's a will they, won't they element to that. And then um, there's also a new footman in the household. Uh, So there is a a little bit of a love triangle, but it's not like, it's not a, um, how do I say this? Like, it's a very interesting one in that it's not so much about like heated glances and like sexual tension. Like it's about like, who are these people and like, how do they fit together in their world? Um, And the other thing that I love about this book is that like, you kind of know when you read Pride and Prejudice that a war is going on because, you know, there's, the soldiers right um and like you know they have to go down to Maryton to like flirt with the soldiers um but like what are they fighting what are they doing what is what is the war like you never hear anything about that and this book really dives into the Napoleonic Wars and like the actual impact of the wars on the people in the lower classes um so it is also a war novel which is not a thing that you are expecting necessarily from a Pride and Prejudice retelling but it's it's like it's there in the text you just don't know about it from Austin uh so I just feel like Baker did an amazing job of taking, you know, sort of the base of Pride and Prejudice and spinning something really fantastic and multi-layered and complex out of it. So it's a historical novel that I really do feel like stands on its own. Like if you haven't read Pride and Prejudice, I don't think it matters. Um, I think it's, you know, good enough that it just is, it is deeply its own thing. But if you have read Pride and Prejudice, like it's a really lovely compliment. Kind of like you were saying, actually, Amanda, like it takes the, the 2D and makes it 3D. Um, the things that Austin didn't pay any attention to, like it, it pays attention to those things. So yeah, I just, I like, I feel like I'm due for a reread of this one actually, as I'm talking about it, I'm like, I want to read that again, which is always (laughs) kind of a good book. So that's Longborn by Joe Baker. Okay. My next pick is The Ruin of a Rake by Kat Sebastian, which is a Regency romance about a sort of insufferable uptight guy finding love, which, you know, is the basic plot of every (laughs) Jane Austen novel. (laughs) (laughs) except this one is queer so and therefore better um so this is it's the third book in the in a series the turner series uh that cat sebastian has written i haven't read any of the other ones don't feel like it's necessary as as many of you know by now i don't read romances in order because why bother um but i don't i'm not missing anything whatever um so the two main characters are lord courtney who is the titular rake um he has been away like overseas for a while uh, you know, spreading his whatever, <laughs> <laughs> wild oats across the continent. <laughs> um, and um, his sister has died, and his nephew is now with another family member. Anyway, his reputation 
is so bad that like his other family member who is the guardian of his nephew is not letting him see his nephew anymore. So he's really upset about that. And now he's in London trying to figure out what to do and like how to get access back to his nephew because he, you know, he really loves his nephew. The other main character is Julian Medlock, who is the most correct of correct human beings. Um, He is like very proper. He does all of the right things. He's really obsessed with appearances. Uh, I think his family is, they're not, aristocrats but they're very wealthy like they're of the merchant class and so he's trying really hard to like be accepted by these people because he needs their money um and also he's got like family reasons why he's like obsessed with being accepted and so courtney lord courtney and julian's sister are best buds and his sister asks him like as a favor to me can you please take this man who with a terrible reputation and like rehabilitate his reputation with the Society of London so that he can see his nephew. Um, and Julian is like, okay, fine. The complicating factor here is that Julian has had a crush on Lord Courtney forever <laughs> and, and now has to, like, spend time alone in dark opera boxes with him. <laughs> um, and so you can probably imagine how that time alone in the dark <laughs> opera box I was just going to say, that opera goes. box scene <laughs> is something. Yep, it's real great. Um, I There's a lot of really interesting things. Like, Julian has... Uh, reoccurring malaria which like adds a couple of plot twists uh like they grew up him and his sister grew up in india and he contracted malaria as a child and then was really sickly all throughout his childhood when he moved back to england it like comes and goes in that way that you know if you read agatha christie you've probably encountered that plot point before where like relapses of malaria um lord courtney is bisexual and like the the scenes of him like flirting with really flustered blue stocking (laughs) women of the town is like they're just great i love both of these characters they both have their own reasons for being like the way that society sees them um their romance is really sweet courtney is great like he's a rake but he's not that kind of rake that's like i'm using terrible behavior to hide all of my feelings because feelings are bad he like knows how he feels about Julian and is fine with it and it's like he just kind of does what he wants and he's great it's just I love it so that's The Ruin of Rake by Cat Sebastian all of the cosine for that one that was so fun um okay I am going to tell you about our second sponsor before we move on to the next uh pairing which you will appreciate the sponsor because it is The Austin Escape by Catherine Ray um the plot is that a it's a present day um there is a young woman who is an engineer named Mary And sort of out of the blue, she is invited by an estranged childhood friend named Isabel to a holiday in an English manor in Bath. Um, And she decides to go because her life is like kind of quiet and a little stodgy. And she's just like, I don't know what I'm missing. And maybe a vacation will, you know, help shake things loose. Um, So they go. But then Isabel, like loses her memory and decides that she is actually a a lady in Regency England, like in (laughs) Austin's time. Like she is, she decides she's an Austin heroine. And so Mary is like, oh no. So she is like in this, you know, manner in Bath, uh, like trying to figure out how to get her friend to like, return to the present day mentally um and then things get even more complicated because as i mentioned they have been estranged it turns out that there's a guy involved um and so there's all of these like misunderstandings and outings and like you know like like complicated conversations during dancing um so it's basically all of the elements uh that you like about austin plus a look at uh complicated friendships um it is a love letter to austin's books and it has like it's also like a rom-com sort of mashup so there's a lot of fun things going on here so again, that is The Austin Escape by Catherine Ray. Definitely pick it up if you are looking for sort of a like t- modern twist on a fun concept that involves manners and bath, which really, you know, that's always a good time. Um, <laughs> okay, so, oh, so I'm excited about my next pick because this is really funny. So I, I don't, I read some historical fiction, but it's definitely usually not like naval historical fiction. Um, and one One of my friends who works for Norton was like, okay, but listen, Patrick O'Brien's Master and Commander, like, series, excuse me, the Aubrey Aubrey and Maturin series is basically Jane Austen on the high seas. And I was like, I reject your premise. And he was like, 
just read the first one. You are incorrect, like, no. sir. And he was like, yeah, no, really. And I was like, mm. so I, and then he was right. I started reading them and I was like, oh my God, he's right. So here, here's the thing. <laughs> so the Master and Commander series, if you haven't read them, follow a captain named Jack Aubrey, who is uh, like in the war against France. You know, he's leading the Navy against Napoleon's uh, Navy. And he has this like sort of like old stodgy ship named Sophie because he's not like fancy enough to get a fancy ship. Um, but he is like hungry for glory and also gold. Um, and so he is very ambitious. Um, and then there is a surgeon on the ship named Stephen Maturin, who is like kind of his like, you know, very different different but bestie anyway friend. Um, Stephen is very quiet and like not at all sort of loud or, you know, uh, sociable, which Jack is. Um, but they get along really well. And uh, so the the sort of central plot point of this book is that they get in a huge naval battle with this like Spanish frigate that totally outguns them. And of like, spoiler, you know, they, they win. <laughs> I don't think that's a spoiler because there's like History. a billion books in the series and this is the first one. Um, but, but the Austin part of it is that Jack like is trying to sort of make his way through the societal mores of Regency England and like rise in the ranks. And he has all of these very sort of hilarious and like weird conversations with like the muckety mucks who hand out the titles and the prizes. And, um, and then Steven is like trying to like guide him through the process, but Jack is like a little bit clueless, so he keeps like blundering. And it 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 just has all of those, you know, sort of social situations that are so much fun to read in Austin. And there is also a romance. Um, and it is very Austinian. Like I was just like sort of stunned. The next thing I knew I had read the first three books in the series and was like, yeah, okay, this is, this is Austin plus like naval battles. <laughs> um, so if that sounds interesting to you, I definitely encourage you to pick these up. Uh, the first book is Master and Commander. Um, that's the Aubrey and Maturin series by Patrick O'Brien. Okay. Um, I have picked a contemporary gender-flipped retelling of Pride and Prejudice called Pride and Prejudice and Mistletoe by Melissa de la Cruz. And this is for all my, you know, Bridget Jonesy rom-com fans out there. Um, so it is gender-flipped. Darcy Fitzwilliam is the female main character. Um, she is in her late 20s. She's from Pemberley, Ohio. Oh, I love clever. watching how, like, authors work all of those sorts of things in. She's from Pemberley, Ohio, um, which she fled uh, as a young adult because her father wanted her to marry somebody she didn't want to marry. They got into this big blowout fight. She left. She's moved to New York where she has made a very success, uh, very... Uh, developed a very successful financial career uh, and is, like, a millionaire. Uh, and she gets a phone call one day that her mother's had a heart attack and she needs to come home and spend time with her mom. So she does. She goes back home to Christmas. She hasn't been home for, like, eight years, I think, in the book. Um, and, of course, her parents have not canceled their, like, Christmas party, despite the fact that her mother just had whatever. Uh, and so Darcy gets gets into the eggnog a little bit and is, like, attending this party. And at the party, she runs into Luke Bennett, who is the son of one of their neighbors. Um, he's in his 30s, has never moved out of the house. He's a carpenter, doesn't, like, is not financially successful. He's very happy, like, living at home, making things. He's got um, four other siblings. Each one is, like, a little bit less, or a little bit more of a slacker than the last one. Uh, and so Darcy, this, like, you know, type A, uber-successful finance genius, does not get along with Luke, the slacker carpenter who lives at home, until they have a lot of drinks at this Christmas party and up under the mistletoe. You can imagine how that goes. Um, so they wake up the next morning and realize that they have done something that's probably really stupid. They're both like both involved in their own on-again, off-again relationships with other people. They don't like each other, also. There's that. Um, and they have these like insurmountable personality differences where Darcy really wants to date somebody as successful as her or like can't deal with someone who doesn't have the same kind of work ethic, professional work ethic that she does. Whereas Luke is like, why are you so obsessed with money? You know, like he's very suspicious of this woman who seems status obsessed and seems to not appreciate slowing down and like the, the, the happiness that can come from making something with your hands. And like, you don't have to become a multi-bajillionaire to be happy. Like what is wrong with it? You know, so they have these like constant bickering sort of fights. 
Will they find love? Yeah, yeah, they do. I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> like, first of all, it's Pride and Prejudice. Second of all, it's a Christmas novel. Like, of course they find whatever. Um, so if you're looking for, like, a really heartwarming thing, seasonally appropriate thing to read in December, this is your jam. So that's Pride and Prejudice and Mistletoe by Melissa De La Cruz. Okay. My last pick is a bit of a flyer, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I was thinking about what makes the romances in Jane Austen so great, and it is, and I was thinking particularly about Pride and Prejudice. Like, Sense and Sensibility might actually be my favorite, but I do have yeah. a big place in my heart, like, for the romance in Pride and Prejudice in particular, and what makes it so great to me is, like, how prickly they are. Like, Darcy is, like, the most hedgehoggy of all suitors, um, and Elizabeth has, like, also has her own, you know, like, prickles up, um, and so, and, like, how they negotiate and, like, keep, like, accidentally wounding each other and then trying to figure out, like, how to have a conversation that doesn't end up in them hating each other is so, is, like, what makes that book great, um, or what makes the romance in that book great and I was thinking about other books that have a little bit of that feel to them and then I thought of For Real by Alexis Hall which is like a contemporary gay BDSM romance novel <laughs> so it's not a clear parallel but like bear with me um the main character in this one his name is Lawrence and he is like you know he's pushing 40 and he has been in the BDSM BDSM scheme excuse me for like a long time and he's also sort of been a little bit in his doldrums uh, for the past six years from a relationship that he thought was like going to be the relationship. And then this thing happened and now they're not together anymore. And he just is like, he's kind of done. Like he's just done. And then one night he like promises his friends he'll go out with them. So he's at this club. And he meets this 19-year-old who is just, like, a babe in the woods, like, you know, like, wandering around this, like, you know, kink club, sort of looking a little bit lost. And he's just like, oh, man, like, what are you even doing here? Um, but then they have a conversation that gets unexpectedly heated. Um, and the interesting flip here is that Toby, who's the 19-year-old, is the dominant one. And Lawrence is the submissive one. So, like, you have this sort of May-December romance, which always makes me feel a little weird. Like, honestly, it's not my favorite. But when you flip the power dynamic that way, you get a really interesting relationship arc. Um, and Toby is, like, very sort of, like, he knows he's younger than everybody. He knows he's less experienced. And he really feels like he has something to prove. But he's also, like, he's 19. Like, he's a little bit clueless. He doesn't know what he wants to do with his life. Like, he's trying to figure himself out. Um, and Lawrence, like, has his life figured out. So, like, how are they gonna, like, they have all this chemistry in the bedroom, but, like, how are they gonna like fit together as two very different people in two very different life places. Um, and there's this great scene that happens when Lawrence takes Toby with him to this like sort of meet up with his old college buddies at Oxford. Um, and like, there's this really great moment where Toby displays this, you know, side of his personality that Lawrence didn't even know was there. And is, he's just like, who is this person? Like the <sighs> way that they sort of negotiate each other and like discover all of the different layers to their personalities. It's just beautiful. Also, this book made me blush so hard. It is dirty, y'all. Like, it is dirty. Um, so, like, depending on where your personal, like, kink-o-meter is, like, if you can't hang <laughs> with, a, with a lot of really explicit sex, like, maybe give this one a miss. But if you're, like, if you can hang with it, like, it's so, the emotional content is so good. It is really steamy. It's just, like, a beautiful, like, I never thought a book that dirty could, like, make me cry the way that this book made me cry. But it did. So that is For Real by Alexis Hall. Okay. <laughs> no, this is not, mine is not like that. Um, so my last pick is Death Comes to Pemberley by P.D. James, which is for people who would like their Jane Austen with a little bit more murder. Um, I did not love this one, I'm going to be honest, but because the wrong person dies, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, so it, like this is that happens in the universe of Pride and Prejudice. After Darcy and Elizabeth have been married for five or six years, they've got a couple kids um, and are, you know, happy. And Jane and her husband, Bingley, are, like live nearby. Everything is fine. Um, Lydia is still married to 
Wickham, and they are not received at Pemberley um, ever because Wickham is, if you've, you know, he's the worst. And there's a scene where, you know, as the book opens, where Lydia comes like careening into the driveway of Pemberley in a in a coach, screaming about how Wickham is dead. And so I was really like, yes. I want to read a book where Wickham dies, like, is murdered. That sounds very satisfying. Turns out that is incorrect. They find him, like, drunk in the woods. And his friend, who is another, like, very minor character in the original Pride and Prejudice, uh, is dead. And Wickham makes this, like, drunken, like, it's my fault that he's dead, my best friend in the world, woe is me, kind of confession, or quote-unquote confession. And he's arrested for the, for murdering um, Denny, uh, Captain Denny. Poor Denny. I know. The poor dude. Uh, and then Wickham, you know, is like, you know, very Wickham-y and like, whatever, like, it's fine. I didn't do anything. I'm charming. I can get out of anything. And that is not what happens. Uh, and so you kind of follow Darcy and Elizabeth as they have to manage their house, which is now suddenly the center of a murder and a giant scandal, which, uh, you know, if you remember what Darcy is like, that's like not his jail, <laughs> being the center of attention for any reason, especially a reason that is like terrible and he lives in this constant fear that the trial and the investigation is going to reveal Wickham's connection to his sister. Um, Georgiana is now I think in her early 20s. Um, she's definitely an adult like they make mention of like she's no longer a minor she can make her own choices kind of thing um, but he still you know is her older brother and feels the need to like really protect her and her reputation um, from what happened to her as a child when Wickham preyed on her uh, and so it's told actually you get a lot of a lot of the book is told from Darcy's perspective, which I wasn't expecting. Um, but that's really interesting because, like, Darcy's such a kind of a black box in Pride and Prejudice. Like, he does the things that he does and says the things that he says. And, you know, you as a reader, I mean, that's intentional. You as a reader are like, oh, God, what a jerk. And then you realize later that he's not so much like that. Um, and so getting into his head for, like, a really traumatizing experience in a, in a book is... Um, I don't know. It was like cool. I don't know. Because uh, you, you know their relationship so much from Elizabeth's perspective, but seeing their marriage after like five years and all of that, not all of that, but like the shine of the Pride and Prejudice feeling is kind of not worn off, but you know, they're settled. They're like old marrieds now. They got kids. They're like doing the thing. Um, and then Wickham is still the worst. I, I didn't love, like, Mrs. Bennett is one of my favorite characters. Like, she's so <laughs> ridiculous and goofy. And she is not in this book nearly oh. enough. Mr. Bennett is, who is great, and continues to, like, he just transfers his sitting in the library, ignoring all the women in his family from his house to Pemberley. So he, like, comes to Pemberley, sits in the library, and ignores all the women. <laughs> and it's just so good. He's, he's the best. Her parents. I want an entire novel about the Bennets and like how they met how Mr. Bennett like managed to put up with her for so long it's just amazing so yeah if you want like a murder mystery this is also I think a good one for reading right now if you do cozies in the winter which I really like to do um but you're tired of Agatha Christie maybe pick this one up so that's Death Comes to Pemberley by P.D. James can I have one last shout out I just realized a super obvious one that I can't believe I didn't think of until just now Georgette Hayer y'all if you have not <laughs> read or is it higher I always I get confused and people tell me and then I forget but anyway, she's amazing, and she writes, like, really sort of gentle, farcical Regency romances that are almost, like, tailor-made for Jane Austen fans. And some of them are a little less amazing than others. She wrote, like, a billion books. Um, so it's not hard to get, you know, like, obviously they're not all going to be perfect. But for my money, the Alistair Audley books are the best. It starts with These Old Shades. And they, this one is in Paris. And oh, man, they're so fun. They're so good. You will definitely, if you like, like, if you like exactly what Austin is, this is the next best thing that I can think of that, that scratches that itch. So yeah, Georgette hair, these old shades, look it up. Okay. Now I'm done. <laughs> That's our show. Yay. <laughs> Thank you for hanging out with us while we Jane Austen. <laughs> so thanks for listening. Uh, please go leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it makes the show easier to find. Thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. Um, I'm mostly on Instagram these days at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen, tell the people. Yes, I am on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that's Jen with two N's. You know what? I totally forgot to mention the giveaway. I Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lordy, I was supposed to mention this at the top of the show, but I forgot to put it in the agenda. We are doing a giveaway on this site for our 20 favorite books of the year. If you go to bookwrite.com right now, you'll see that we have just published our big, um, like, best books of the year 
roundup. And we did that through a nomination process where we had the contributors nominate their top five. We did the magical math to figure out which book was getting the most nominations, and those are the ones that went up on the post. Uh, we picked like 30 or 40, I think, but we are giving away the top 20, which includes like The Hate You Give um, and uh, My Favorite Thing is Monsters and a bunch of other ones that I'm not remembering right now because I forgot to put it in the agenda like a silly person. So if you go to uh, bookriot.com slash top 20 books, I think, just go to the site. You'll see it. And next week, I promise to have it like correct in this agenda so I can tell you the right place to go. Um, but right now, it's on the homepage. So that's that's all you need to do. Go to bookride.com. It'll be in the show right notes, the too. I'm putting it in the show notes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and now that is our show. <laughs> <laughs> we will talk to you all next week where I will be less dizzy. Bye.